Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Welcome to the More Perfect Union, the podcast that offers real debate without the hate. I'm Kevin Kelton. I consider myself a moderate Democrat, and I live in Los Angeles. And as usual, I'm joined by my hosts and friends... I am Rebecca Kushmeider, a progressive feminist from Kensington, Maryland. And I'm joined by my dog. Rose, get out of here. <laughs> I'm DJ McGuire, a conservative feminist from Suffolk, Virginia. And I'm Greg Matuzak, a common sense liberal and Sharpie salesman, which I did <laughs> not know was a conservative thing until this week, from Cincinnati, Ohio. And <laughs> we want to encourage everybody to follow us on Twitter at hashtag MPU podcast and on Instagram at MPU.fan.club. And by the way, we are looking for a social media stud or stud S to help promote the show. So if you know your way around social media, have a few hours to spare and would like to make a little extra cash while helping to promote the More Perfect Union, drop us a note at MPU podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and have you be part of our team. So, gang, um, a lot of news broke just today. I mean, we could make a show out of things that just happened in the last 12 hours, but we're going to start with the news about a Russian, excuse me, an American spy who was embedded in Russia in high, high places, apparently even had access to Putin. And this spy had to be extracted from Russia in 2017 because they feared, or the CIA feared, that President Trump might have in some ways, given him or her up. Uh, DJ, I know you feel strongly about this. Did I, first of all, did I get the facts right? Uh, pretty close. Uh, they were, the, the intelligence community was concerned that this asset would be compromised by Trump, either because Trump really is in hock to Vladimir Putin or because he's an idiot who likes to talk about things he shouldn't talk about. Uh, either way, they were very concerned. Uh, this was an asset who had worked their way, again, as you had said, had worked their way up to where they were very close to Vladimir Putin, had actually been offered an extraction during the Obama administration and turned it down. So this was this was a true believer. And somebody who was living on the edge, because if they were offered extraction twice, they were in serious, serious danger. Exactly. Well, the, what the Times reported about it was that the person, the person was Russian. It was a Russian national who right. had family and didn't want, did not want to either leave their family or risk their family, and they thought the extraction was going to be too complicated for that reason. And my understanding is, is that this happened right after Trump's meeting with the Soviet uh, ambassador in the Oval Office, that there was some fear that actually Trump had in some way given information out that may have compromised this person's identity. Right. Wasn't that what we worried about? We worried about that with some Israeli intelligence that it was Trump tied into that. Yes. It was that so that same meeting where he was just spilling everything and putting actual 
State Department assets and Israeli assets at risk, actual human beings. Okay, but let's let's be fair. He had only been president three or four months, so he was still on the job learning, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, oh, that yeah. excuses oh, it. <laughs> on top of that, I'm sorry, Greg, on top of that, the fact that at the, at the summit with Putin right after this happened, he had the interpreter notes confiscated means we really don't, we still don't know what he told Putin either about this or about anything else. Oh, absolutely. And that has always bugged me. Yeah. Do you guys, do you guys think this could start a trend and perhaps like a high Russian asset might actually flow the coop? Like, do you think Eric Trump would like actually go, <laughs> would go back or, you know, Ivanka or one, one of the kids? Cause they've worked really hard to get there. So that's right. That's right. They yeah. were embedded when they were youngsters in the Trump family right. because they, Russia knew that Trump was going to become president. Yeah. I mean, I think Tiffany's pretty settled. She adopted a cat this weekend. It was all over social media. It's named Orange Crush. I'm not joking. Now, I'll tell you who was extracted from the White House, the Taliban. Uh, they were supposed to actually from Camp David would have been the better way to set that up. Uh, they were supposed to come to the United States for secret meetings that was going to culminate in a big peace accord between Trump and the, and the Americans, the Taliban, the Afghans, even though they were going to have no say in the matter, were going to be uh, represented there. And I, I truly believe that Trump thought this was going to be his Jimmy Carter, Camp David peace accord meeting or his peace accord moment, I should say, where he thought he was going to win the accolades and, and the admiration of the world for bringing peace to that section of the world. And it fell apart because the Taliban went and blew up some people, including an American. Well, did you know how long Trump had been working on this meeting? Oh, you know, something like this, Rebecca, I've got to say it had to be months, if not years. Oh, yeah. No, it, I, yeah, he started He started in August the, the 31st of this year. <laughs> thereof. So, yeah, he's been on this like a yeah. whole week. It's, it, uh, this yeah, is a, a major, a, major initiative. About two to three weeks, this was in the planning stages, a major piece of court. I, mean, I think the NSA was, was out of the loop on some of this stuff. Yeah. The National yeah. Security Advisor was out of the loop on this stuff. Well, the National Security Advisor didn't want to do it because he thought it was a bad idea. I, I think Bolton was in the loop. He was just part of the group that was adamantly against it. Yeah. I mean, you could say a lot of things about John Bolton, and I do, but he hates him some <laughs> Taliban. Like, yeah. he does not want to have dinner with those people. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you who I think was ready to go in with tanks this week. The Commerce Secretary, I think, wanted to go into NOAA with tanks uh, <laughs> and take them on for contradicting Donald Trump. Because definitely, if you're going to blow someone away in righteous rage, it should totally be a weatherman. <laughs> I, 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 I want to laugh at Kevin so hard, but I can't because I fear he's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, we're referring to the fact that Trump took a Sharpie to a uh, weather map to try to suggest visually that Alabama was in the path of the storm. They thought it might have been maybe a week before that happened. And then they quickly said, no, that wasn't going to happen. It was going to cut in a northeasterly direction. And Trump, instead of saying, okay, we thought for a while it was going to hit Alabama, we were mistaken, he doubled down on it and then created this ridiculous map that has been satirized almost to death across social media and on television. And we've learned out uh, in the last two days that um, I guess the Commerce Secretary actually threatened to fire 
staff at NOAA, which is it stands for National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. It's 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 the basically it's the people who issue hurricane warnings. Right. So they were threatened with being fired by the Secretary of Commerce if they contradicted the president. I think we have some pretty strong feelings about that. DJ, I'll give you the first uh, bite at this apple. Thank you, Kevin. Um, first of all, I I have I have a friend who used to, I have a friend who worked at NOAA, and I have friends of friends who still work at NOAA. And if they are listening to this podcast, they should know that they have friends beyond the bunker. So <laughs> take heart uh, and and just you know be strong. Uh, but as as someone who who is in the who is in the economics discipline? This frankly terrifies me because the Bureau of Economic Analysis is also under the Department of Commerce, and we now know that the Department of Commerce is run. Well, we knew it was run by a corrupt bastard because that's who Wilbur Ross is, but we know that Wilbur Ross is now so corrupt that he is willing to corrupt data to please his political master, the President of the United States. This is very, 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 very fucking dangerous. Sorry, Kevin, you may have to edit that. I'm going to take out two of the varies. <laughs> okay, that works. This is this is the this is the kind of thing that makes the entire federal government less credible. It makes them less believable. It makes us look more like the Chinese Communist Party that fudges statistics every day of the week and twice on Sunday. This this is relaxed. It's much worse than you think. Territory. This is a DEFCON one. Red flag, klaxon, holy crap, this is terrible. This is the entire credibility of the federal government has been whacked, and it is horrific with a capital well, and H. It's, this is so bizarre from a sociological standpoint. The, the one theory I heard is that Trump just misread something. He like he was skimming and read all Bahamas as Alabama and, and got stuck on that point. And instead of being able to say like normal people, oh, oh, my mistake. What I meant was, and move on from it. The guy's like threatening to gut an entire scientific agency over it. Like he he cannot deal with one tiny flaw, something so inconsequential that if he just said, oh, I'm sorry, I meant, we all would have forgotten it by now. Instead, it's turned into Sharpie Gate. <laughs> well, DJ, I couldn't agree with you more on what you said, and I'm going to build on what what your point is. This falls into what I, I call Kevin Kelton's iceberg theory of government, which means that for everything we see, there's 90% underneath the waves that we don't see going on. So when we see Trump first changing data in the form of him personally changing an official weather map, and then having his commerce secretary threaten people not to repudiate the president's point, that we know. We have no idea what we don't know. And I don't want to get uh, all Donald Rumsfeld on us here. But what goes on in government that we have no idea about that's just as bad or not worse? And DJ, I think that's the point you were making. And the the area that I'm very concerned about, you talked about the – what department did you talk about? I'm sorry, DJ. The Commerce Department – which has numerous agencies under it. One of them is the Bureau of Economic Analysis. The Bureau of Economic Analysis. And I'd like to, to take the uh, focus a little bit towards the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics because that is the place, as DJ, you well know, and I'm sure everybody here knows, uh, they're the ones that 
create the unemployment data that comes out every month. What a lot of people may not realize is that in March of 2019, uh, the person who was doing that job since uh, the middle of the Obama administration, they left and were replaced by a Trump appointee named William W. Beach. He is the new commissioner of BLS. Now, Mr. Beach has impeccable credentials and probably is just as qualified as anybody to have that job. But the moment I heard this this news report that a, a Trump person had been embedded in BLS, I said, well, now it's going to be hard to trust the unemployment statistics and the jobless statistics and the labor participation rate statistics anymore because you've got a Trump political appointee now overseeing the data. And DJ, tell me, am I being a little paranoid here? Is this a conspiracy theory? Or is it possible that someone who was a passionate partisan could, in one way or the other, make those statistics a little bit more presidential friendly than they might otherwise be? Um, until today, I would have said you're being overly paranoid. I would have said that's, that is almost an, an utter impossibility. What Wilbur Ross did to the NOAA has frankly frightened the hell out of me. Uh, I don't know what the Secretary of, I don't actually, I don't know who the La- Se- Secretary of Labor is. For all I know, it's, it's another one of these acting nonsenses things. We don't have a Secretary of Labor. We've had an acting Secretary of Labor since, um, since, uh, Acosta. So it's an acting. So, so, yeah, so we, so th- this, this is what this what this is showing us is that the cabinet secretary is in a position to strong arm these agencies into doing Trump's bidding. And that's the problem here. It doesn't take a lot to get the Bureau of Labor Statistics to say, emphasize one survey over the other. So you could have a situation where the, the acting labor secretary leans on the BLS chief and the BLS chief basically says, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to spend more time talking about the survey that talks about job growth and less time mentioning the survey that talks about the number of employed people being reduced. In other words, just using verbiage, putting a thumb on the scales as to what the American people actually see. You highlight the jobs report. That is positive and you don't highlight the household survey that is negative. That kind of thing can in fact happen and it can be a very subtle way of tricking the American people into thinking that things are better than they really are. And again, as somebody who is a data person and analysis, that just scares the absolute hell out of me. Yeah. And you know, I'm going to take my paranoia a little bit further because you're right. That is a very subtle way to, like you said, change the weight of certain statistics. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think back to uh, October and November of 2012, going into Obama's re-election bid against Mitt Romney, when the unemployment rate was falling and I think had just gone below 7.0 for the first time. I think that's where the number was. And it was great news for the Obama administration going into this election. And I remember Jack Welsh going on television and saying, these statistics are bullshit. Don't believe them. The Obama administration is playing with the numbers. DJ, do you remember that? I do remember that. You know, and of course, we thought that he was being a little bit uh, uh, paranoid schizophrenic at the time. 
But if he thinks it could happen then, maybe it could happen now. Anyways, I have no proof. I just have my, my suspicions, uh, but my suspicions run pretty deep. And I, and I, and I so much want to poke holes in that and tell you why you're wrong and tell it, but I can't because I don't really believe it. You could very well be wrong. <laughs> you know who I think could use a uh, vacation at a Trump golf resort? Boris Johnson. <laughs> As much as I love your laugh, Rebecca, just seeing DJ smile on camera gave me so much joy just now. <laughs> so DJ, you know, we always no go to you for the for toughest. Boris Johnson, man. That that guy gets nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we go to you, DJ, for the toughest stories, and I'm gonna challenge you to recap and as I put it in our rundown, in a hundred words or less, knowing that that was a goal and aspiration. Oh boy. Um to That's to two. <laughs> <laughs> That's two. Now you're down to 98. To uh, recap or, or summarize, what the hell is going on over there? The Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, who is very much pro-Brexit and wants the United Kingdom to leave on the 31st of October, came up with an idea to essentially end the parliamentary session and restart it a month later. It's called Prorogate Britain. For the purpose of making it harder for Parliament to stop him from leaving the European Union without a withdrawal agreement, which has never been able, which Parliament has never been able to agree to. Okay, DJ, I'm going to interrupt you. Could you explain to everyone, and actually for me, because I don't understand it, explain what happens if Britain leaves the EU without a formal agreement? What happens is they go immediately to World Trade Organization rules and in theory, a whole bunch of customs arrangements need to be sorted out for anything that goes from Britain to the EU or anything that goes from the EU to Britain. Meaning meaning items in trade or immigration or both? Both. Okay. So it has it has the potential to just tie up trade, exports, imports going in and out of Great Britain indefinitely. In theory in, in theory it does. In practice, one of the largest recipients of British trade, which is the Port of Calais, has said that there are many things that they can do to minimize to minimize the disruption, and they are more than prepared to do it because basically the whole Port of Calais would be in serious trouble if there is some serious disruption. I'm not going to I'm not going to predict what's going to happen because I really have no clue. This is uncharted territory for a whole bunch of reasons that I can never explain in less than a hundred words. Well, and just and didn't didn't Parliament just reject um, a snap election tonight? Like right. that happened a few hours ago. Which, which normally they can't. Which until 2010 they would never they've never been able to do. Until 2010, if the Prime Minister wanted a snap election, he got it. He just goes to the to to Her Majesty and says, "This Parliament's a disaster. Please dissolve it." But there's something now called the Fixed Term Parliament Act that says that you can only have an election for House of Commons if two thirds of the of two thirds of the MPs agree to it. So the opposition, which is now afraid that Boris Johnson could actually win an election, won't give won't let him have one. <laughs> this is awesome. It's like the filibuster. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers. You know who else won't let elections happen? And I'm jumping over about 15 topics now in our rundown. (laughs) Go right ahead, man. But apparently the Republican National Committee feels the same way about elections as uh, the British Parliament because they don't want to have primaries in South Carolina, Arizona, Nevada, and what's the fourth state? Um, California? I think it may be California. So – uh, we now know that Mark Sanford is running for uh, the P- Republican nomination to run for president in 2020, along with William Weld and Joe Walsh. So there are now three very credible challengers to Donald Trump. And the Trump administration's answer is, seems to be, let's not have any primaries. And they are trying to convince state uh, Republican committees to forego primaries because they're too expensive. <laughs> How is that going to go over with Republican voters? Are they going to buy that, or are they going to see that he's afraid of uh, a challenge? Uh, I I think they're going to go. They're going to buy it because one, Kool Aid is Kool Aid. Uh, yep. Two, um, it, we haven't seen numbers in polling numbers yet. So if they are less than, you know, uh, what what's her name, the crazy woman on the Democratic side. Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> oh, good one. Um, no, you're talking Marianne, about Marianne Williamson. Uh, I was just joking. There, there, I was just yeah, joking. <laughs> yeah, but the, uh, both. Well done. Um, yeah, if they if their numbers, if their polling numbers are less than 0.0%, then no, they shouldn't have, and they shouldn't spend their money. Uh, you know, I hate to say – because every week I feel like I'm the guy who says, well, yes, I do agree with the Trump administration, common sense liberal. But yeah, they're right. Unless we see numbers and them raising money, then no, no, no. Well, uh, no, hang on. But when, when, hey, hey, no, hey, no typically when parties, no poking holes I'm, I'm poking, say. I'm going to poke. Um, I've got my poking stick. Um, Typically, when there's an uncontested primary, like if it's an incumbent president, don't states hold them anyway? No. Yes. Yes, they yes, do. Yes, they really do. Some, so, sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. There were really no primaries in 1984, for example, when Ronald Reagan was running for re-election and nobody bothered to challenge him for the Republican nomination. Uh, but that's not what we're dealing with here. We now have three challengers, possibly a fourth if Carly Fiorina gets in and she's delighted Twitter with a bunch of anti-Trump posts, anti-Trump tweets lately. That, by the way, is a rumor that I had not heard. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every, everybody laughs. But the fact of the look, the fact of the matter is, if the Republican Party wants to make abundantly clear that they are the vehicle for the Trump family, then they are more than entitled to do so. All I can say is what I have said on social media for the last three years. 
And they said being a conservative Democrat would be hard. <laughs> you, you know, and this is this is something that I, I keep telling people. Um, the political parties are not here for everyone. We are here for the political parties. Okay. And I don't know why everyone finds this like wah, 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 wah. You know, this is, this is the same thing we had with, um, with Bernie Sanders. All the independents were like, well, the Democratic Party should be here for Bernie Sanders. No, the Democratic Party is here for the Democrats. The Republican Party is here for the Republicans. Period. And that is how the primary season works. Okay. So, but, you know, the last that I saw, the last data, the last polling that I saw showed that, that Trump was maybe below 80% and maybe around 74% uh, with support in the Democrat, excuse me, in the Republican Party. Now, that's pretty good, but it's not anonymous. Excuse me. It's not unanimous. <laughs> it is anonymous because it's polling, but it's not unanimous. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter though. If the Republican Party, if the Republican Party doesn't want to do this, if the powers that be, remember, it's their party. They can laugh if they want to. They yeah, can cry true. if they want to. It's their party. You, that's true. You they don't even too, have to have a convention. Your party they too. don't have to do anything. Yeah, they right. could just nominate him no. by decree. Absolutely. Right. They could nominate by decree. I mean, the, the the rules for nominating a candidate are completely at the discretion of the parties, and nobody disputes that. And, and the primary systems are a private nominating contest. They are not a state or local or federal election. They use the same equipment by agreement, but they are not actually elections. They're nominating contests. Yep. And- if the Republican Party wants to change up the rules and shut down their nominating process in the middle of it, as Kevin said, they can do that. That's their thing. The Actually, fact Greg that said they that. <laughs> both said it. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to poke holes in that we, argument. We Greg. look a lot alike. Um, <laughs> we look a lot alike because we're both old. We're both super yeah. old. See, I was going to say you're say both it. very, very handsome. Um, but. The point, the fact that the Republican Party, the moment they face any kind of uh, dissent in the ranks, starts shutting down nominating contests is an impulse that we should examine and perhaps not find particularly attractive in them. Okay, you're right. You're right. And at that point, at that point, we should have a revolution in the streets and the people should rise up. Wait, no. That's not going to happen. Well, let right? me let me say this. Look, we, we all agree that the, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party can write its own rules, whether uh, voters oh, like that do. or not. And, and we they do. do. Um, yeah, we invented superdelegates. I mean, yes. come on. How stupid yeah. was that? But, but well, I, well, we could have an, a very spirited debate about that. But um, <laughs> let me let me say this. You know, let's say that they were they're able to um, negate the primaries in 40 or 50 states and just by decree decide that Donald Trump is going to be their nominee because he's the incumbent president. That doesn't stop a Mark Sanford or a Joe Walsh or a William Weld getting together in some combination and running on a third party ticket. And he can stop them from running in primaries, but he can't stop them from running as third party candidates. And I don't think Donald Trump wants to go into November thinking that there could be a, a, a Sanford Walsh or a Walsh a Walsh Sanford ticket 
running against him in some of these states that he needs to get every vote he needs. And now he's going to try and draw a Sharpie over their names on the ballots. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there'll be a lot of uh, Sharpie jokes with ballots. Um, Okay, so we've got a debate coming up uh, in a couple of days. Thursday night, the next Democratic debate is happening. Ten candidates take the stage. Only one will walk off alive. (laughs) Um, This is the one I've been waiting for. Party rules. They all get to pick like sharp objects and yeah. Yep. It's like the Hunger Games. Yeah. It should be like that scene out of Anchorman where they had the um, the rumble. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, characters were, were, were um, swinging maces with spikes right. on them and everything. Yeah, somebody <laughs> ripped off someone's arms. God, that's a great scene. Right, right, right. 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 Peter, Pete Buttigieg would be like, I killed a man. He's like, right. Well, that <laughs> yeah, escalated right. quickly, Pete. Yeah. I know. Then, then he'd like, he's, then he'd straighten his tie. It would be really, really dignified. Yeah. And, and Biden would say, Pete, you, you might want to find a safe house. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might want to lay low, Pete. <laughs> so uh, the debate is going to happen. We're finally going to have one debate with everybody there, although we now know that Tom Steyer has qualified for the next round of debates in October, and that's going to be a, a whole different thing. Yeah, and they're going to set that up with 10 people on the stage one night and Tom Steyer the second. <laughs> I love that line. Oh, that's, that's the best awesome. idea I've heard. But uh, let's focus on this week. I have a theory. I always come into our shows with, with you know, Kevin's theory. Sometimes they're a little a, out the there. Is this the iceberg one? Because we've heard it. No, this is, <laughs> this is the Caesar salad one. Oh, okay. But <laughs> uh, my theory is, is that the person who I think stands the most to lose on Thursday night, well, take a guess. Who do you think I think stands the most to lose? Bernie Sanders. No. Warren. Yes. I think Warren stands the most to lose. And here's why. And again, I could be totally wrong. I was wrong about my predictions of earlier um, debates. So, you know, it's just a prediction, folks. Listen, don't put me on a, a burning stake if I get it wrong. But right now, what what Elizabeth Warren has going for her, she's got a lot of things going for her. Listen, she's a very smart, capable person, and she'd probably make a fine candidate if she gets the nomination. Um, She's run a great campaign so far. One of the things that I think makes her really popular is not just that she's got a plan for everything, not just that she's super smart, and not just that she's passionate. Elizabeth Warren has proven herself to be an incredibly likable candidate. And I don't think anyone would discount the importance of likability in politics. And if Elizabeth Warren goes into that debate trying to take down Joe Biden, thinking that this is her chance to win over Biden voters or Biden supporters and bring them to her cause by making him look foolish, I think the greater danger is that she's going to do to herself what I personally think Kamala Harris did to herself in the first and second debates, which was make herself look unlikable because people perceive this as taking pot shots at good old Uncle Joe. So I think that Warren has to walk a very fine high wire in this debate. And if she goes a little too far, I think there could be peril for her. Guys, again, tell me why I'm wrong. No, actually, I think you're right. The only problem with that is, you know, every time Elizabeth Warren turns around, there's a sign that says too far. Yeah, good point. 
I mean, she doesn't know that she doesn't know where too far is. I mean, yeah, she is. She is an accident waiting to happen. Well, so, she is. She she doesn't know the danger of too far. I agree with you. Ed. Right. Kenny Loggins wrote the song Danger Zone about her. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, I don't even want to get into that. But no, I mean, she she knows two two speeds and it's it's fast and angry. So. You know, as far as likability, half this country does not like her already. And if you ask her why, ask them why, I don't know. She's, she, they remind her of Hillary. Um, well, again, we talked about this last week. You may be right. I don't know that it's half the country. Oh, it's 30%. It may- it's correct, 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 Greg. I, I've had the equivalent of. I think maybe half a bottle of wine. I'm pretty sure you're more drunk than I am right now. <laughs> uh, drunk on love. <laughs> what? Look, the 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 way the way these I've I've actually take I've actually taken the time to actually I've not taken the time to listen more to disassociate, uh, but I've used that time to remember the debates of the past on the Republican and Democratic side, and I came to one realization that I think we don't recognize, and that is. In debates like these, the candidate that gains the most or that gets the most out of it is actually the one that takes the most attacks, not the one that gives them. Yes. Steve Forbes became a major presidential candidate after the January 1996 debate where every other person on stage outside of Bob Dole tried to take a piece out of him. Uh, Donald Trump gained in stature every time the rest of the field went after him. So the fact of the matter is, I don't know who has the most to lose from this. I think that I, 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 I think if anybody has most to lose, it'd probably be Warren. I would say, and this is going to sound counterintuitive, the candidate who has the most to gain out of this is probably Joe Biden because everybody's going to come after him. And so long as he manages to deflect those parries well, to parry those attacks well and come out of it unscathed, I think he will have the most to gain from this debate because everybody's going to come after him. And so long as he doesn't get knocked on the floor rhetorically, people will go, oh, wow, Joe Biden really can take a punch after all. Okay, he's just fine. Look at all those times. Everybody came after him. They didn't. They just didn't land a glove on them on him. Well, and that I should would be not his strategy be surprised. going to do this. He should he should not be on the offense on this debate. He should be up right. there ready to just kind of roll with the questions exactly. and 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 look vaguely wounded when the candidates the other candidates come after him. Yeah. Actually, I I I agree with both of you. And if I were Joe Biden, as soon as this started, I would say, you know, this is okay. I understand being the front runner, uh, I'm going to be taking a lot of incoming and that's okay. Guys, take your best shots. He should go with it. And acknowledge it. Agreed. Yeah, Agreed. you know, absolutely. What? the The only thing is that that's that's not Joe Biden, and I'm not poking holes. I agree completely with y'all. No, you're right. That's not Joe Biden. That's what he should do. It's that's not, what not he Joe will Biden. Do. Joe Biden. Yeah, no, that, that's that's a you're you're talking about Tim Kaine there. He's the one who could pull right. that off. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Joe Biden <laughs> has has this long history. In this long, distinguished history, and and so when people take shots at him, he's like, wait, wait, how dare you take a shot at me? Do you know who I am? I'm Joe (laughs) frickin' Biden. Have you seen my Camaro? It's bitchin'. He, he, he He takes offense. He thinks he needs to go for the jugular. 
what he needs his staff to tell him, no, no, Joe, you're the front runner now. You can just absorb these things and go. You you, you can basically look at them and go, bless your heart. That's a southern thing. Exactly. So don't worry about exactly. It. And 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 just and, and yeah, and and just roll with it. I mean, he he, he, needs, he needs to be the meme version of himself. Remember all the the Biden <laughs> memes from right before the transition. He needs to be that guy. You know, he he cannot be you know the Scranton scrapper. He has to be Uncle Joe, the meme. Right, and 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 also taking it to Trump. If he's running against Trump while everybody else is running against him, Biden wins the debate. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about this week is because I keep talking about. Biden's strength in the polls and pointing out, you know, he's still holding strong. Uh, Warren may have come up, but she's still in third place. What People go nuts and they think that I'm a Biden supporter. And then they get angry at me and they keep telling me why nominating Biden is such a precarious thing for the Democrats. And we all know the, the reasons. You know, he popped a blood vessel. What's he, what's going to happen when he goes up against Trump? A blood vessel in his eye. He's showing forms of senility. What if he starts speaking French, like in the seduction of Joe Tynan, you know, in the middle of a debate? The, the, the point is, everybody is afraid that he'll either make a big factual verbal gaffe or he'll have this in, incredibly embarrassing senior moment. And everybody is saying, if we nominate Joe Biden, that is what could happen, may happen, is likely to happen in the general election. Everybody is running a what-if primary, projecting all the horrible things that could happen if Joe Biden is the nominee. And my response to that is, if you want to run what-if primaries, then let's do it for everybody. Because Joe Biden is not the only person that has potential uh, weaknesses, flaws, things that could happen. And I'm going to throw out a couple. They're going to sound controversial. Let's say, for instance, we nominate Pete Buttigieg. And I'm sure you guys remember in 2000, Al Gore was, you know, accepting the nomination of his party. The balloons were coming down. The music was playing. Everybody was stomping their feet in the Democratic National Convention. And Kipper Gore came out on stage and he gave her the biggest kiss in history and that became a talking point for months, how this kiss was inappropriate, embarrassing, blah, blah, blah. What if Pete Buttigieg and, and his husband kiss on stage and that starts some national scandal? I'm, I'm not being homophobic now, but I'm saying it could happen. I, I would say if, if Pete Buttigieg is the nominee, it is more like, it is far more likely that the Republicans will try to repre repress the African American vote by talking about the policing situation. Itself. Yes. Okay. But I'm and that also, is much more he's much more vulnerable on that. I and, think. and that is an issue that he's vulnerable on. And you're right, mm -hmm. DJ. I'm trying to point out things that, that we're playing the what if thing, things that could go wrong. And you're right there. Absolutely. And the other thing with Pete Buttigieg is I think Pete Buttigieg is a fabulous speaker. Everybody does. There's no one that watches Pete Buttigieg that isn't impressed. But he's also five foot eight and a relatively diminutive man like Marco Rubio. What if he goes up against Donald Trump and all of a sudden for the first time we're seeing those two men standing next to each other, Trump being six foot two, although he claims to be six foot three, he's really not. And Pete Buttigieg is five eight. And what if the, the visual on television just looks like he's a boy and Trump is the, the powerful man and that doesn't work for us? 
Okay, that's just Pete Buttigieg. Now let's go look at uh, Elizabeth Warren. Oh God! What if something comes out that she actually did use her supposed or her alleged Indian heritage to get some advantage in college or in a workplace situation? What if that's documented? What if she or or Kamala Harris, if she's the nominee, what if their husbands are proven to have had some business dealings that are very questionable. You will remember, DJ, because you are a student of history, that Geraldine Ferraro, as a vice presidential candidate, was haunted until election day by her husband's business dealings. This is true. Okay? I w- and Bernie Sanders, by the way, could have the same problems with Jane Sanders. Okay? Now, could. I'm not going to, to uh, take o- – I mean, I have taken over the podcast, but I'm going to give back the microphone now. I'm going to get off my so soapbox. Okay. <laughs> and let you guys and let you guys respond to this. But I just I, again, my greater point. Don't focus on the specifics so much. My greater point is everybody is going. If if Joe Biden is elected, he's gonna he's gonna look senile, and that's gonna sink us, or he's gonna be the next Hillary Clinton. And all I'm saying is, if you want to play that game, you can do it about every potential candidate, and it shouldn't just be Joe Biden who has to win the what if primary. One thing I've been noticing about Democrats on social media is we are the worst salespeople and the face of the freaking planet. We spend all our time trying to convince people not to vote for different candidates. Yes. And it's actually annoying. I have cut back my social media use because I'm tired of listening to the professional left tell me why I should hate things. Um, and it, it's, it's something we all really need to get over because we've become entrenched in this idea of disliking a front runner for the same reason we all dislike mainstream music and movies that don't show in indie theaters. Um, and, and that, that carries over into the general and, and suddenly, you know, there's this vacuum of support among a certain percentage of the Democratic mainstays because we were so busy trying to look cool during the primary and hating the front runner that when the front runner wins it, because front runners do, we don't know how to come back from that. Yeah. Okay, hang on a yeah. second. I Hang on. I am going – as someone who was a Republican for 25 years and was an amateur member of the professional right, I can tell you that in point of fact <laughs> – you get that on the you see that on the Republican side too. That is actually a very human condition. Well, thank God. Most, I'm glad mo- it's not just us. <laughs> no, but most Republicans are convinced that the establishment are a bunch of weenies that they that they and they alone understand the true nature of the American people and that they don't understand why the Republican Party is so weak and so useless against the great vaunted Democratic machine. So that 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 that's a that sort of catastrophizing is just is just typically human. But I think there I would say that Kevin made a very important point, but his examples were rather bizarre. Uh, I could do that just on issues with every alternative to Joe Biden. Elizabeth Warren is going to try to out trade Hawk. Donald Trump, and she's going to be laughably beaten in that, and she's going to look like a fool. Bernie Sanders is going to be the fellow who honeymooned in the Soviet Union, was on the wrong side of the Cold War, and will basically be smeared with that from now until November. Kamala Harris, her record as, as Attorney General 
was so heavily uh, pro-police and anti-civil liberty that it can be used to suppress turnout. Cory Booker, very similar with his uh, friendliness with the pharmaceutical industry, which has a very heavy presence in his in his home state of of New Jersey. Uh, I could do this, you know, Pete Buttigieg, again, I mentioned his uh, South Bend police thing. Nobody else really has a shot at the nomination, so who cares? So the fact <laughs> of the matter is, this could be used against everybody. Kevin is right. The question will come down to regarding Joe Biden is, and again, it's, you know, it's, and I've mentioned this before, how, how well, how much can Joe Biden be defined by Donald Trump versus already defined by the American people? And as nutty as Joe is, as avuncular as Joe is, and as much as sometimes you just want to facepalm all the, all the stuff about Joe, there is an, there is an authenticity about Joe Biden that makes it much more difficult for Donald Trump to define him than he could define Hillary Clinton or any other challenger who gets nominated. Joe Biden, as bizarre as it sounds, does have a reservoir of support and love and caring from the American people that the rest of them just don't really have. Yeah. And Donald Trump has dropped the bar on being articulate, being intelligent, and being well, and, and, and getting his facts straight, he has dropped the bar so low that it actually helps Joe Biden because people will yeah, hold that, him that, to that same standard. Yeah, that's all out the window now. Yeah. So is there anything that anyone wants to touch on? We did kind of hopscotch over some really important issues. Is there anything somebody wants to talk about before we, we head out? One. Yeah. Yes, I have one. Tuesday... Uh, North Carolina's ninth district is voting in the special election for the seat that was never filled because, well, there was some fraud involved. Uh, I would say that if, if Dan McCready, the Democratic nominee, actually wins, that would be a boost not only to the party as a whole, but also to, frankly, Joe Biden. Hewing to the center, trying to hoover up as many center and center right voters as possible is the way to victory. If they can pull out a win in, in North Carolina nine, then that is a sign that there is a genuine anti-Trump majority that is ready to support a Democratic nominee who is very much in the middle of the road. By contrast, if McCready loses, it will be easier for the Warrens and the Sanderses of the world to say, well, there are some voters who will just never get anyway, and it's all about ginning up the base, so you should vote for me instead. Well, have you guys – have you seen what Dan McCready looks like, though? I mean, I, I, I don't want to shame him, but he looks – awfully young and i can't tell if it's because i'm so old and i'm feeling old this week but i and i i know he's only it's that we're old greg we should be happy about that i know he's only like 12 years younger than i am but he looks like he's only like like 17 years old and he's like i'm dan mccready i'm gonna win this day and that's the thing that's well, going to cost in these elections. It, and that's that's something we should talk about at some point is the the complete uh, void of Gen X in government. Yeah. It's like we've gone from boomers to millennials and those of us sitting here in our 40s are like, "Shit, I forgot to run for Congress." I know. <laughs> like I meant to do that, but like I had to take care of my kids and my parents. Right, we were, we were sitting around listening to our Clash and Billy Bragg albums and all of a sudden we we're like Oh, Congress! And then that we, was what I was gonna do. I should have voted. I should have. And then I got distracted because Joe Strummer died, and I've oh, been sad. Greg, yeah. as, as we say here in Virginia, and the rest of, of Dixie, bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> 
Greg, I think that you should run for the Democratic Party ticket for some post in Ohio. Your brother should run on the Republican ticket in the same election, the same year. And let's see how voters do with, with twins, identical twins on opposite tickets. That's an election I'd like to see. We'll, we'll do the exact same thing. Yeah, but you know what? They'd end up like arm wrestling in the middle of the debate stage. It would, it would turn into that uh, ultimately. Or Greg would bring his saxophone and try and tra- chase George off the stage with it. It'd be like the Patty Duke show. Do you guys remember the Patty Duke show? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Emily. There's Kathy who loves a minuet, the ballet russe, and crepe Suzette. But Patty loves a rock and roll. A hot dog makes her lose control. What a wild duet. Remember you know that? What? I, you can't write lyrics like a hot dog makes her lose control anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I, I would write those lyrics and just put in Greg and George. I would just replace the names. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to thank everybody for listening. If you enjoy what we do here, please check out our website, mpupodcast.com, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. And as always, we ask you to share our link on your Facebook timeline so your friends can discover us as well. And if you'd like to debate with us between shows, we're all, or most of us, are in a political group on Facebook called Open Fire Politics, and we would love to see you there too and join in our conversations. Well, uh, Greg, what will you be snacking on come debate night this week? Um... Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to lose weight, so <laughs> I am probably not going to have debate nachos. No, no, say it ain't so, Joe. <laughs> okay, and I'll be making sweet and sour meatballs this week, gang. Come on over and bring your own toothpicks. <laughs> <laughs> Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Is your cell phone bill out of control? Then this is your wake-up call. The new TrackPhone Wireless gives you unlimited talk and text starting at $20 a month, no contract, plus unlimited carryover data with active service. Yep, the new TrackPhone Wireless. Now you're in control. See terms and conditions at trackphone.com.